0: UX Podcast, episode ninety nine. This is UX Podcast. I'm James Roy Lawson, and I'm Parrax Boom. And we're balancing business, technology, and users. Every other Friday from Stockholm,
1: Sweden. Awesome. Episode 99. It sounds uh, 99. so majestic. <laughs> majestic? <laughs> sounds mm.
0: like an ice cream. <laughs> that too. <laughs> oh, well, mm. British British people wouldn't understand what I mean, but um, no one else will. Really? Okay. What well, do you know what No, you know what I mean? because it's
1: the, we have an ice cream called... Uh, 89, isn't it, in Sweden?
0: Oh, maybe. No, 88. Eight eight. 88. 80 is it?
1: Yeah,
0: it's it, 88. Yeah. Eight. yeah. But we are today not talking about ice creams <laughs> um, we, or lollipops or gingerbread or whatever uh, Android thing is. Mm. Um, we are having a link show. Yes. Where we take um, three articles we found during our um, internet travels and we talk about them
1: for you. And hopefully argue some about them as well.
0: We could well do. Yeah, um, We'll probably argue mm-hmm. about the articles, but maybe not with each other.
1: We'll see. <laughs> uh, so which ones do we have lined up? Oh, uh, that one. The, the hamburger icon article as well. Yeah, we can give the titles of
0: them. Why, yeah, it, is totally okay to, mm-hmm. why it is totally okay to use a hamburger icon. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we'll go on with content first design. And we are going to finish off um, with the Fallout from Mobile Geddon. What is the impact on your business?
1: Hoping that a lot of our listeners will be aware of mobile MobileGeddon. Uh, we'll talk. We'll, we'll, we'll mention what it is. But uh, hopefully, if you are responsible for a website uh, of some sort, then you know what mobile MobileGeddon is.
0: Yes. First up, then, why it is totally okay to use a hamburger icon.
1: Right, and we've talked a fair bit about the hamburger icon in previous episodes because we haven't really liked it. Uh, this is an article by Stephen Huber,
0: who is um one on Twitter. Oh, you've checked
1: that as well. Nice. Mm. It's on I prefer I prefer for these shows. You know, you? Oh, wow. <laughs> it's an interesting concept. It's <laughs> it's on, on uxmatters.com. Um which is a blog you should be following, I hope. And so the hamburger icon is essentially an icon that is a symbol that represents a menu in a mobile phone. And the menu uh, or the symbol itself is actually three lines, three horizontal lines. Uh, and that's why it's come to be known as the hamburger icon. Recently, Luke Krabluski has also been talking about the kebab icon. Oh, that's one it stands upon on its end, isn't it? Yes, you have three s- full circles, I think, on top of each other.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's common in, it's definitely common inside Android
1: platforms. I think it's maybe... Uh, I'm not sure if it's on the Facebook app or the Spotify app. I've, I've, I've seen it several times in different apps. And then what's the other one? Isn't there a mixed meat
0: as well that Luke talks about?
1: Oh, I missed that. <laughs> I've only been seeing tweets about this.
0: Yeah, no, that's that's another one where it's it's the different mm. sizes, I think, and you can't... Really, are these variations yeah. of these little lines, mm. up or down or left and right, uh, which supposedly mean um, a menu.
1: Mm. And the reason why it's all the rage to talk about the hamburger icon is to, it seems to generate a lot of clicks. As soon as you mention the hamburger icon, people uh, have a feeling about what it is and, and how it should be implemented or how bad it is and why it should not be implemented, uh, which, of course, is a great – so this is a great article name, why it's totally okay to use the hamburger icon. Uh, and hence, we clicked it and we shared it. Uh, but it does have quite a few valid points. And Well, first, first for me, that was – I mean, I don't think
0: it really even – Explains why it's totally okay to use a hamburger icon.
1: Of course not, it's clickbait.
0: Oh, God. <laughs> See, I, I actually thought I just missed something when I was reading it. I was actually getting, I read it again, of course, before the show, and I was thinking, hold on. Aren't I suppose I have at least a kind of answer to this question. To be oh, fair, damn. the
1: uh, more correct title would probably be Why It Might Be Totally Okay to Use a Hamburger Icon. Uh, and, and the first picture is is quite fun because it has a picture of a remote control, an old remote control. Using the hamburger icon, uh, we've sort of, in the web community, tro- thought that we were the first to discover the hamburger icon and implement it. But, of course, it's one of those icons like the at sign and others that we've come um, across yeah. along the years. And but
0: per, 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 on the picture, what has it got above the button? It says menu. Yeah. So it's an icon with a clear text label. Above oh,
1: yeah. I'm not arguing with that. I'm just saying that the, the symbol itself it is, is hasn't originated in the mobile uh, context. It's just it's been oh. around. You're right. I'll yeah. give you that one. Yeah, uh, and that and uh, I'm glad you mentioned that the menu is actually printed alongside the button because that's what we've been saying in previous episodes. It might be okay to use the, this symbol as long as it's uh, accompanied by the menu uh, text. On the other hand, what he's arguing in this article, I think, is that uh, it's it's you, sh- you should have research-driven design. So. Whether you, you, you can't really decide up front whether you have that icon or not. You need to do re- the research. What people tend to do these days is actually, oh, they see a tweet, they see an article, and so they say, oh, we're never going to use a hamburger icon because it's just not going to work because that's what the research says. But the research has been done on websites and on people who are not your end users. They're on somebody else's end users. Mm. Uh, if you're working with a more techie crowd as your end users, it might even be okay. That's, that's my theory that you would want to test but I think you should test it and not just rely on what people are tweeting or saying uh, yeah. online.
0: The, the article actually it, it mentions basically some principles um, uh, oh, regarding um, navigation yeah. um, on menus. let um, see so if I can pick them out. They're not really listed in a conventional way, so I'll, I'll do my best. Um, don't hide the menu. Don't hide the menu was one of the um, points. Um, center important information. Yeah. Apparently, we focus very much on the center of mobile phones uh, visually. So center important things on your screen. Um, and emphasize, important, emphasize information rather than the navigation. Um, and architect your solutions. Um, so design from the center outward. Yeah, they were the principles. I mean, you have to read the article if you want to know a bit more about the details behind them. Um, I think it's um, personally. I think he's. I think he wavers off the track a little bit here and there, and it, it loses. When I uh, given the title, and I complained about the start that mm. I didn't really have an answer to it. Then in each of these points, there's some good. There's some good snippets in these points. Yes, but I, I, I really struggled to have a, a kind of ah yeah moment with with the the article as a whole. Um, and, and and some bits were actually just wrong. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm whinging about something. yes, you are. No, but it's like the, the bit about um, use an example of um, uh, the Google Calendar or Gmail, and then Google Maps um, and and Material Design, mm. and and that the um, the floating action button in Material Design is a good example of a secondary oh, is a, a secondary menu item or secondary navigation, or mm. well, it's actually not. I mean, the whole point of that function in Material Design is to lift. A, um, a highlighted function, a primary action. Yeah. So, like, create email would be kind of a really primary action. And I think mm-hmm. that's actually... So it's a good point, and it's an important point, that we should be making sure we surface what users actually want to do
1: Yes. rather
0: than hiding it. And the hamburger is a way of hiding it. Um, and sometimes it might be okay
1: to hide it, but not always. Exactly. I totally agree. He's, he's making some valid points, but the examples may be off a bit. Um and, and talking about the primary functions and, and secondary and tertiary functions, I think mm. he's that's, this relates to what Jerry McGovern usually talks about when he talks about top tasks. Yes. You have to start thinking about uh, if you have primary functions, they shouldn't even be in the menu. They should mm. be in the content and in your face. So uh, my takeaway from this is that he's really saying that so the menu is there and behind the hamburger icon you might have tertiary functions. like third place <laughs> in in priority functions uh but not the primary ones so it's he's sen- essentially saying that so the hamburger hamburger icon is bad from a usability pr- perspective because it's hi- it hides stuff but you may want to hide the menu you may want to hide stuff that people don't want to get to too often anyway mm. so in that sense it may be okay to put stuff there but not the stuff that you want people to actually notice <laughs> yeah, and then, and then the,
0: the, one of the examples there is the YouTube app, mm. um, and you know, what, like you, my kids use YouTube app all the time, and they they have no problem at all finding a lot of the videos they like and playing them and all the rest of it, mm. um, because the primary functions are really accessible. Yeah. But at the same time, um, if if you if you look at the YouTube app, especially in the screenshots screenshots in the article, um, it's not only got a hamburger menu; it's also got um, a kebab menu yes. and a kebab menu by the side of every single video um, and you know it's, it's it's there's a lot of confusing little icons that you can click on here and there so mm. oh, maybe not perfect from a menu icon point of view but yes you can do what you need to do with the YouTube app really quite straightforwardly. yeah
1: because what you want to do is watch a video and yeah. if you want to do something else you're going to start searching for how do I do something else and then you click on whatever's there and if the only thing other thing that's there is an icon. You're going to click that, mm. no matter what the icon looks like. Yeah. Well, that said, mm. uh, you, you need to have more conversations
0: with my mother. Right? <laughs> I know. <laughs> when I'm doing telephone support for my mom mm. in, a, in another country, trying to get her to alter a setting on her telephone, all these icons mm. for menus give me a nightmare because I, I, I kind of on my phone I think well I'm sure it's a hamburger one I'll explain it, it looks like this mm. then I find out on her phone no it doesn't it's a kebab or it's something else or it's a button rather than a oh, screen yeah. icon oh yeah
1: and that's another story I mean about having actually the same type of icons and different services on different uh, devices uh, which of course uh, you may want to have if you have this if, if you're uh, producing content with all those different devices and producing different in- interfaces think about uh, uh, well being, I'm, I'm, la- had a loss of words here. What, what, do you call it when you're actually? It's not coherent, consistent. Yes, consistent. Yes, That's the word. You, uh. <laughs> you, you, I didn't quite get enough scent from you of which,
0: which way you were going there. But consistency. Yeah. Yeah. Be consistent. Yes. With your um, primary actions on your navigation. Mm. There we go. That wraps that one up.
1: And if you want to hide stuff, then by all means use the hamburger icon. <laughs> oh, I'm not going to agree with you. But we'll leave it there and we'll move on. Alrighty then. Uh, So, Content First Design uh, is the name of this article by uh, Steph Hay. Yep. Have you checked Um, Steph's Twitter handle? Of course I have. Nice. Yeah,
0: Yeah, she's at Steph underscore Hay on Twitter.
1: Right. And she's, uh, she works at Lead uh no, she actually leads Capital One's uh, content strategy team, and uh, her bio says that she has weekly design sessions for 160 people across 10 locations. Mm. And That's pretty impressive.
0: That is actually cause that's quite a that's a distributed um,
1: uh, set of stakeholders and content people that need to be marshaled. Yeah. I thought this article was going to be about something else, because we talk a lot about content first and content strategy, and it's important to have the right content, and not like Laura ipsum content when you're designing websites, and make mm-hmm. sure you're, you you know what you're designing for, but this is actually talking about a design technique, where you uh, she's taking inspiration from the gaming world, which she's, she's done a, bit, a fair bit of research into uh, how Games seem to be able to extract data from people by asking them questions in a conversational way. You may have a conversation with an avatar, and basically you're giving away information about movies you like or preferences, which may be used later on to give you to present ads to you. Uh, I think the Wii uh, console is is one of the best examples of you you create an avatar and it starts asking you questions, and, and you've given away your weight and length and stuff, but it's it's all fun and games uh, giving away that data. Uh, much better than a web form, of course. Uh, But the design technique that she's realized that the games industry uses is that they don't have copywriters, but they have something called narrative writers or game writers or or story designers, which essentially, of course, are content strategists. But what they do is, before interaction design happens, before that even happens, they have something called a content workbook. So they start writing the interfaces in text. Uh, Some of them... uh, in conversations, conversational form, that, like what type of question does the user have when they arrive at this page and how would we answer that to that? How would we respond to that? So you're designing every page in a conversational way, like you're having a conversation with the end user. Uh, and what she says is that uh, w- when they try this out and start doing it, they, they're spending weeks in a Google document doing only text before they even start doing design and layout, which is pretty awesome. And... Um, The quote I love about this is, working in this content-first way made for the most joyful and collaborative design projects I've been involved in since starting uh, my web. Ooh, I lost the quote. Well, working with the web, basically. Uh, So when when somebody discovers a new technique and, and, uh, um, I don't know, reflects in that way that they express a passion, uh, it really spoke to me. And I realized that we talk a lot about how interaction design We do interaction design to save time from the actual work or producing the product. But this is one step ahead of interaction design where you do a lot of work to save time on doing the interaction design. Because I'm in a position right now where I'm doing uh, lots of iterations on interaction design, where I'm realizing that if we had started earlier just agreeing on what we want the interface to be, then we wouldn't have to do all these iterations with interaction design. So it's about basically about, instead of th- thinking system design and structural design, you're just thinking about conversation design uh, with the content first. Uh, it really really appealed to me uh, in the state that I'm in, in the projects I'm working in right now. <laughs> <laughs> I,
0: uh, I think, um, and it's, it's, I love reading these kind of content, content first stuff, mm-hmm. and, and it just feel, when we talk to people about content first um, as a strategy or as a technique for developing um, uh, websites or whatever on digital content digital experiences it, it always feels right what we call, we've talked to conversion optimi- optimizers and the same thing and it's about the words we talked about it several times yeah. but in in practice this is an incredibly difficult um, it feels like it's an incredibly difficult um, you know hill to climb and I think the example she gives here and uh, And Capital One, they must have reached a certain stage in digital maturity, to even attempt this. Yes, because we're thinking about Mm. you know the the classic thing about um, buying or um, you know getting getting stuff signed off. If Mm. your if your organisation, I mean Capital One must have reached that stage where. They don't they they completely trust the UX organization. They understand mm. that professionals deal with the interaction design and the visual design and the and the and the development of the actual coding of mm. of, um, of their products and completely trust that organization which then allows them to start with content first. Yes that we need to do our job which mm. is as, as content owners and stakeholders we need mm. to make sure that we're telling the right story having the right conversation and producing the right words to put mm. in to that trusted framework that we know that this group uh, this organisation mm. is then going to take and, um, and, and run with Yeah. and unfortunately I, just, I, I don't think I've had the luck of being in so many projects where I could have um, had the experience that she has with this
1: yeah, I, yeah, true. There's, there's going to be lots of obstacles before you actually get something a whole team to work this way. I think mm-hmm. you can get started, though. I think you can s- get started by doing it yourself and just sending it off to the client, uh, if that's your situation, and, and seeing, it, have I understood you correctly? Is this the type of conversation we're having? Mm-hmm. Uh, because the type of document that she's describing that you set up is that start writing what kind of conversation you'd have in real life if you didn't have an interface yet. Uh, And then you start writing, and you write, and (laughs) and then she says, don't edit, which sounds sort of hard, and then keep (laughs) writing. Uh, But... So it's, it's almost like a choose-your-own-adventure book when you end up with – is what you end up with. I don't know if people are familiar with that, but uh, I loved them when I was a kid. When you, oh, yeah. Chap- well. You read one chapter, and then you, you decide, what well, what's going to happen next in, in the story? Mm. Is he going to turn right, or is he going to accept the cookie from this strange man? Okay, if he accepts the cookie, turn to page 12, yeah. and then you f- finish the story over there. And, it, and then nice there's t- another – Oh yeah, like a make- I used to love those books. we
0: had a real phase of those in the '80s when we read them all the time. So I'm thinking,
1: well, if you, you approach this in a fun way with the client, you may actually get them to to love it straight off.
0: I think we could um, I think we could run a lot quicker and a lot further with um, content first if we started maybe doing it as content early. Yes. Because in 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 practice. Um, you know, I'd I'd like I'd like the strategy to be um, in place um, and, and the tactics to go with it um, in place, and even some user research or some research in place before I started getting into wholesale content work. Right, and that's another so, thing. Yeah. So I don't want content first. I think it's a bad idea to do content first, but content early, I think, is
1: is not only an excellent mm. idea, it's achievable. Right. It all depends on what team you're talking to, if what they're doing content first or not. If you, mm. But uh, what I was seeing, because she shared uh, videos and examples of, of the documents that they're working with. And often what happens is when you've done the correct strategy work first, that I totally agree with you, James, is that that document sits somewhere, uh, <laughs> shared a shared document, mm. but nobody looks at it. And then you start doing interaction design, and people start arguing with, well, why have we done this? Why have we done that? Uh, but in this document that they're working on, um, when, when they're working with text, at the top of it, they have like, short snippets from the strategy. Uh, mm-hmm. And what that does is that every time you open the document, you remember the strategy and why we're doing this. Uh, and that's what you start a- as, as your starting point when you start writing it later on. So You could actually – I
0: can imagine you can even do um, – uh, instead of a snippet from your strategy, mm-hmm. um, you could even um, say which persona you're talking to.
1: Oh, absolutely. Exactly. Yes.
0: If you've managed to produ- produce some So designers. in the
1: end, you have a blueprint for your whole website uh, yeah. in text. And then that's fantastic input for an interaction designer. Mm-hmm. And also, the clients could go in and edit the text because what happens now is what I'm you, you realizing is that I'm doing interaction design. And people, when they present them to others, they just want, oh, I want to sh- just change that bit of text. And just changing that bit of text, even in if it's a, a, uh, like a sketch, it takes time. But they themselves doing it in a Google document. there's no time at all. No, it's, um, you can hear yeah. I'm passionate about this. But I, I really, yeah. <laughs> your uh, what you're saying is uh, I'm I, I agree as well. I mean, it's it'll take time to have somebody actually try this out, uh, and you have to be really really mature.
0: Uh, uh, and let's I've got to
1: say as well, I think it's really good um, that
0: she shares the experience and the stories. Oh yeah, the
1: sharing here is fantastic because they yeah. actually have a link to the the actual document that they're working in. Mm. <laughs>
0: No, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this, is mm-hmm. this is exactly the kind of sharing yeah. which um, allows us to, to learn mm. and, and to discuss like we are now. Yeah. Um, so rather, rather than just kind of painting a, a theory about what you think might happen um, in certain situation, this is, this is, this is what we did. Um, and, uh, and this is how it made me feel. And this is what we achieved. Yep. Um, difficult to argue with it. Um, you, can <laughs> yeah, it exactly. you can build on yeah. it. You um, can build on it. You can work from it. But mm. you, know, you can't argue with
1: experience. Mm. So I'm going to be trying this and I'll hopefully I'll return to describe what my experiences have been in, in, in coming episodes.
0: We should, we should book you in. Mm.
1: <laughs> and our third
0: article for this um, Link Show episode of UX Podcast um, is the fallout from Mobile Geddon. What's the impact on your business? Now, this, um, this, this particular um, article is, um, is written by Brian Hughes, um, on smallbiztrends.com, dot com. Um and I think it's his first article he's written for this um this website. Um he is um Brian Hughes116 on um Twitter. Um now I could have to be honest, we could have picked a whole, any of a whole load of different articles um about Mobile Geddon. Yeah. Um and we probably would have had a similar conversation. Um but f- but first off um we're going to have to explain, I guess, what Mobilegeddon is. Um, now, it's a Google thing. Um, <laughs> Google announced um, on um, April 21st, I think, um, that they were going to be making an algorithm change. Um, and this would be a change that affected a whole load of companies and a whole load of websites. This was a big change, they were saying. Mm-hmm. Um, and it would start to be rolled out. Um pretty quickly after the twenty first I think it was the day after they said they were going to do it yeah um, they've been Google have been talking about um the importance of making your websites uh mobile friendly for quite a long time now uh, and they've been gradually ramping up the um the the flags they're raising and the the encouragement they're giving to to Tell you to sort out your um, website. In um, in Google Google Webmaster Tools, they've been um, displaying basically warnings or improvement tips for a fair while. That says you know you could you could make your site better by doing this mm. or making it uh, responsive and mm-hmm. so on.
1: Um, and the way you can actually go see this in action is if you search in Google on your mobile phone. Uh, uh, the result list will actually have a small text next to um, the titles of the pages where it says mobile friendly.
0: That is one of the things they've yeah. started
1: to show now. Yeah. Um, I've even seen
0: variations where um, if it's not mobile friendly, they're, they're not excluding it from the search results, but they're taking away the link so that it becomes an unlinked search result. I've seen. Oh, I here. haven't seen that.
1: Well, that's yeah. that's amazing. That, I mean, that's big. That's huge.
0: I, I don't know how. I, uh, that's probably just one of the. You know, because there's so many tests Google run uh, yeah. all, all the time. So I don't know if it was a test or something they've rolled out. But it was uh, it was a really interesting test to see that they were willing to show the results still, but just not link it to the actual website and just say, oh, it's not mobile friendly." Um, but um, they um, they also they provide a test tool, mobile friendly test tool, which
1: says whether they think your website is mobile friendly or not. Yeah. So um, I'm no. going to go out in, on a limb here and be transparent about how little I know, uh, but have they said that this will affect your search results placement even in, when you search on a desktop, or no. is that not affected?
0: No. It's, um, this is um, what's called a, a per-page penalty. Um, mm-hmm. So not a per axbone page penalty, but it 's <laughs> a penalty that 's applied for, very, for for every page on the website rather than a, a, a your entire website so you can if you 've got some pages that are responsive and some other pages that aren 't responsive, for example, then this penalty could be applied to your non responsive pages okay so those pages won 't appear as high up in the search
1: results potentially, but will that apply even? Desktop. If I search on the desktop, will those pages be penalised as well?
0: No, that, as far as I understand it, that particular um, ranking signal mm. does not factor highly in a desktop search, if it factors at all. Right. Uh, what what the whole thing has been about? Because Mobile geddon was the the phrase, and that was um, used within SEO circles to to talk about this massive change that's going to happen to the search results from mobile um, after Google rolled this out. Um, and, you know, we, cause I say we've been r- building up to this. We've, we've had Google pushing responsive mobile. We've had articles telling us that responsive web design is more profitable than not. We've had Google last week even saying that there are now 10 countries in the world where mobile searches have now overtaken desktop searches in number. Mm. And one of those countries was actually the USA, which surprised me because I presumed all 10 were going to be in Asia because the mobile usage there is way ahead of most of the other countries. Now, but So Geddon was going to come and it came and there was live blogging and people were pushing out articles here and they were saying it hasn't hit yet maybe that the index hasn't been updated for us because <laughs> Google's, Google's just a little bit big so things don't happen when you press a red button at Google it takes yeah. time to propagate it can take weeks and days for things to roll out across the entire system um, and now a couple of weeks have passed because we're into May now and it's you know, been a few weeks since they rolled started rolling it out and People are still saying they haven't really noticed a massive difference. Yeah. Now, there's a lot of speculation about why these different, what the different reasons could be for that. Um, people are still saying could we, that it's rolling out. People are pointing out that, well, you know, it's a per-page thing, so maybe you won't notice it that much because it's a specific page that's been dropped in the search results. Maybe you've got you've got to remember that um, it's over 200 ranking factors that Google uses to rank your page, mm. and the mobile-friendly one isn't so dominating that it sinks your page in the results. It actually maybe just affects it a little bit. Mm-hmm. But if you're really strong on one of the other ranking factors, maybe that compensates for it. Yeah. Maybe you've got a CDN and a super-fast website, so even though it's not mobile-friendly, it loads so quickly in mobile that Google doesn't really, think it really matters because people are still clicking on it in search results and are not jumping back to the search results. So they have got other
1: signals that indicate
0: it's actually not so bad.
1: Or, here's my theory <laughs> that I just thought of, maybe every website on earth is so terribly bad that everybody is getting penalized across the board with no changes <laughs> in, the, in the end <laughs> in search results.
0: Uh, you know, that actually worryingly could be quite true.
1: <laughs> <laughs> From what I've been seeing <laughs> in my consultancy work, uh, that's probably close to the truth. Uh, yeah. There's too many bad websites out there but
0: that's that's actually what, what one of the reasons why I chose um just this article um to share with the listeners and to talk about because um not only does it say that well mobile mo, mobile geddon hasn't really been as as big as it sounded like it would be and gives some bit of insights it also goes on to say what you should do yes um, to help um, get ready for the future because even if mobile geddon hasn't hit, we know that mobile's not going away, and the importance of making sure your website works very, very well in a in a, in a device that's not desktop um, is crucial. Um, and the things that are listed in this small business trends article don't just apply to small businesses. They apply to absolutely every single website that's out there.
1: Yeah, because so, I, mean, I think a big point here is that, okay, so not much has happened. That does not mean that you should not... Care about this, it means that you still have some time to get your act together.
0: Yeah. It, uh, yeah. It, it could be that they do crank this up and they, they make it even more significant a factor very, very quickly or very soon once they've got yeah. the change in place. Because now this is all about rolling out the change to their algorithm. Now it's there. They can just twiddle some knobs and suddenly it's, it's, it's knocking people out.
1: Sure, but my point is that it's not Google that we should be worried about. It's our clients no. that we should be worrying about because they need this. That's why Google is making um, this. Change.
0: Exactly, yeah. they're trying to lead the way yeah. um, by doing this. Mm. So they're giving. So the article gives some advice, like um, you know, yes, you've got the, the Google um, Google's test um, mobile friendly test I mentioned that you can use, and it's a very good test, and it gives some very clear. Um, you know, if your test if your site passes or your page passes, it goes awesome. This page is mobile friendly. A lovely bit of green text. If it doesn't pass, it tells you what you should do. Mm. Um, and this article mentions some of the things are to make sure your text isn 't too small google doesn 't want you to be zoom you know, double clicking to zoom and, and pinch zooming on web pages it should It should work yeah. um, and image optimization you know, we 've talked about that before making sure you 're not pushing massive images down, making sure your server 's quick your pages actually get sent across mm. um, think about how you 're structuring pages so that um, it looks like a website appears perhaps quicker than it's actually loaded.
1: Yeah, I was trying to understand that because what it says in the bullet list here is render blocking JavaScript and CSS above the fold content. Uh, and I was struggling to understand, okay, okay, so that's what they mean. Because we yeah. actually talked about this. We talk about that it's really important that web pages load fast. Yeah. But sometimes it can feel as it loads, that it loads fast or feel faster than it actually is, like you're saying because the top of it has loaded and that's what you're looking at but the bottom is still loading and it may take two minutes to load but you're not down there yet. Exactly. So this, so what that
0: means in, in, in more uh, simple terms is you've got to basically trick the user or the visitor into thinking that this is ready to interact with mm. and that should be your goal getting stuff out there quick enough so they can get on with the next step and sometimes that means twiddling around with javascript in the way it loads so that it it doesn't get in the way sometimes it it means making sure you're making use of browser caching so that certain resources are already cached and already there Um, it also means maybe things like minifying or grouping together various scripts and stuff so you're not you're not causing lots of traffic before you can um, see it and also think about what appears above the fold um, I mean, yeah, we, we, we hear all the time that full doesn't exist anymore and all these kind of arguments. Mm-hmm. But you know, but there are simple tricks that we can have um, to make us think that things are a lot faster than they are. We've even talked about the loading icon and how that can be mm-hmm. a, a, um, a bad thing because um, it can give you the impression that things are slower than they actually are. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so I realized
1: yesterday I actually had a conversation with someone about a responsive site that I'm working on. Where they we've been looking at it in in of course in an iPhone 5 uh, and an iPhone 6, and then somebody comes along with an iPhone 4, and they rea- everybody realizes well the header is much too large because uh, if we're talking about above the fold content, the half of the screen is the head like the heading with the logo and and maybe a, an image <laughs> or, what, or whatever it isn't in this case but it could just as well be or a logout button, and that yeah. takes half the screen. And then you have struggled to find, oh, is there something below that? Oh, yeah, there, there's the content that I really want to reach. But on the larger phones, that wasn't a problem.
0: Yeah. Uh, I visited a
1: website on, a, on my mobile the other week where,
0: first of all, I was greeted with a, um, a country selector. Mm-hmm. And then before I got even chance to, to click on the country selector, it appeared first. Mm-hmm. But before I got a chance to click, um, a cookie opt-in. Um, layer appeared on top of the country selector so i had to to click okay on the cookie thing before i could click on the country i needed to go to to get to the content that i wanted and which i thought I'd already reached when i searched for it in google but and this is (laughs) this is something i've gone about gone out before and I, i still go on about that i think it's i think it's our job as uxers to to understand and consider um this aspect um of the experience as part of our work, I think it's not solely the responsibility of developers and you know the IT guys who are coding up solutions to think about um, page performance and and ways in which we're we're, we're tripping up the user um, and, and not being as friendly. And um, we we need to be um, aware that our responsibility for the experience goes beyond the interaction elements
1: on the page. Yeah, we need to be in meetings. We need to be asking. This is what it, we want it to look like in mobile. Uh, is there any way we could do it? I mean, does this affect load times if we do it this way? Is there any way we could do it better have a conversation with the developers about Because they're the experts about making it load faster, but you are essentially the person wanting it to load faster, or should be wa- ma- wanting it to load faster. But so few people that I talk to working in UX actually have a focus on this.
0: As we talked about I think it was with um, Ben last um, in last episode about um, performance budget, mm. um, and you, you don't need to understand the technical things. I mean, you don't need to understand what render blocking JavaScript and and um, and minifying CSS means, um, but you need to understand that if your web page maybe loads lo- um, takes longer than two seconds to load, then that could cause UX issues, and like you said, bring it up in meetings, mm. um, r- raise the question. Um, see if you can get an answer um, or make them think about it make them consider
1: things that are happening um, and I think we'll go a long way and ask them to raise the red flag if they see something that actually uh, affects performance as well yeah, absolutely
0: so to round up this one um, Mobilegeddon hasn't blasted us all out the water um, it, it's not knocked out every single mobile site that's that's well rather a non-mobile friendly website um, but I, I, we we can't ignore this um, it might be coming quicker than we think. Google even if for Google it even takes them a long time to revisit and recrawl the entire internet. Um, so I'm not surprised it's it's been slow to make a a, a difference. Yeah. But um, this this is just one aspect of, of many. This is one context, mobile search, but we can't let it drop out of sight. Amen. Amen. <laughs> There were our three articles for today. Um, the show notes to this, um, this episode, episode 99, are available um, at uxpodcast.com, um, as well as an archive, archive of all our previous shows. Um, we're UX Podcast, um, all one word, um, on Twitter and various other places. Um, we have been your hosts, James Royal Lawson and Per Axpoon. Thank you very much for listening.
1: To- Remember, <laughs> Remember to keep moving.
0: I didn't want that lovely build up. I kind of. I was just about to When
1: you said go on, I was just about to say it. If you had <sighs> said that, it would have been perfect.
0: It was too long a pause. Silent, I'd have you. Silence I'd have is golden. You. Silence is golden. Buzzed you for hesitation <laughs> if we were playing just a minute.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, definitely. <laughs> uh, that'll be a, f- a fantastic show when we do it, a just a minute show on the UX podcast. They maybe, maybe this year. Maybe this year. <laughs> so go and say your thing. Remember to keep moving.